This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here, powered by theracetalk.com here on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever you're listening to us on. Thanks for joining us. Richard Crowell and Mark Walker to join me in a tick and we're going to cover off what happened on the weekend in Darwin for the supercars. Mark Brax to join me to speak about the MotoGP in Catalonia. All that to come right here on The Grid. Joining us on the line, we say g'day to Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowsey. Chebexter, cold, isn't it? It is cold compared to what we've been used to for the last few days. Bloody freezing, actually, down here Very. in Melbourne, as it is obviously in Adelaide as well. Very but a man that's in a warm part of the uh, the world over up there in Brisbane is Mark Walker, of course, also from theracetalk.com. Hello, Mark. Hello, boys. Uh, it's not that warm here? Come on. We, we have seasons in Brisbane too, you know. Just. 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 <laughs> uh, gentlemen, the heat wasn't the only hot thing up there in uh, in Darwin. It was just it was a pretty good weekend overall. Uh, we'll, we'll dissect it down, but your thoughts of the entire weekend? Uh, no, enjoyed it. Packing weekend. Uh, lots of interesting stuff on track. Uh Probably more fascinating supercar stuff off it than on it. To be brutally honest, though, race one had a bit going on. Uh, Sunday race was flat as a tack, but the overall storyline of Scotty finally winning that triple triple crown has been elusive for a while. Seemed very, very appropriate. Um, outside of that, uh, really liked it. The poor categories were pretty entertaining, actually. Loved the local stuff, so good fun. Carrera Cup was outstanding. Aussie racing cars, good. Um, Lots of people there, uh, locals saying that the Barnsley crowd on Saturday night, talk about playing to your demographic, uh, was one of the biggest they've ever had at Hidden Valley. So wow. that's a, a great positive. Um, yeah, loved it. Terrific weekend away in the sun, in the, uh, in the sunshine. And we're at the halfway point, boy, uh, boys, believe it or not, of the championship. And, uh, while Scotty has it shot to bits out in front, it's now around in front. There's some pretty, Interesting and compelling storylines brewing behind Car 17 as uh, the second half of the year plays out. Yeah, we'll get into those in a sec. Your thoughts of the weekend, Mark? Uh, best road trip of the year, I'd say, is the old Darwin one. It's uh, it's a shame that a race meeting has to break out and <laughs> destroy a perfectly good holiday, really, to be really honest with you. But uh, the crowd was big. Uh, you know, Darwin's in a bit of a tough spot at the moment with industry and whatnot up there having a bit of a battle at the moment, but certainly plenty of people turned out to the racetrack over the weekend. And like you said, the Barnsley crowd, but they also had Veronica's. The Veronica's uh, mm. playing the undercard to Barnsley. And there are heaps of Veronica's fans there because they stuck out like sore toes. Like, they're not your typical race <laughs> fan. Is the uh, uh, Yeah, so that, that was good to see and uh, good to see a different cross-section of people up there uh, at the races. Boys, yes. before we yes. before we launch into the in-depth analysis, can I, I like to feel like that uh, the On The Grid podcast provides some useful consumer advice to people. Uh, yes. Can we can we agree as a collective that the annual trip to A, the Middle Markets, and then the ski club afterwards for dinner on Thursday night is possibly one of the better motorsport-related dining experiences of the year? Is that a, is that a fair a fair thing to say, do you think? Yeah, I think it is. I, 
from my point of view, I reckon that we probably could have explored the dining uh, facilities at Mindel Markets maybe a little bit more than what we did and maybe have that as the Thursday and then maybe the ski club dinner on the Friday. Because I think there's lots mm. of options at Mindel Markets that could be uh, could be quite good. There are. I mean, so long as you eat something that's uh, crocodile-based, you know, <laughs> and for those who haven't had crocodile before, it's like chewy chicken. It's a cross yeah. between fish and chicken and chewy. There is, a, there is a store there called Darwin Roadkill, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. barbecue roadkill yeah. or something. Anyway, I just I feel like it's uh, as far as no, it is. It's fantastic. As far as nights go, it's one of the better of the season, and uh, you need to enjoy your work. And we all work pretty hard, we think. Anyway, uh, most of us do. Uh, and <laughs> that opportunity to go and unwind is uh, is very much welcome. Anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up because uh, no, no. it's always an annual highlight. I'm glad you you got that out there because uh, we encourage everyone who hasn't been to the top end to watch uh, motor racing or just to go to the top end. Go and do it. Because you, you really you won't regret it. It's a, uh, a one of the most de-stressed few days or whatever how long you spend up there that you'll have in your life. It's just uh, relaxed and it's just mm-hmm. nice and it's just amazing. I tell you what, uh, there must have been some people pretty relaxed in the office of supercars last week because uh, they all but forgot to put out a press release or maybe they were told not to about some changes to uh, some aerodynamics for the Commodore to try and uh, get a bit more of that parity happening. What the hell happened there, boys? Yeah, look, it, it's it's a sensitive issue. And, and believe it or not, this makes the uh, the Race Talk Power Rankings, which as this goes to air, is uh, now live on the racetalk.com. Um, so the, the, the story's been well told by now. There was another aero tweak. The biggest issue from it all was is that the, the sport doesn't need in this politically charged climate where everyone's trying to stab each other in the back and as far as this whole parody talk goes and is parody right, isn't there parody, do the Holdens need more? Todd Kelly was, was up on the wheel about the Nissans, which I thought was great because I like team owners when they, they're outspoken and, and having a good rant about life. It's always entertaining for us. Um what what doesn't need to happen is whether it is uh, done by design or done by just not saying anything because they didn't say anything is more reasons to cast suspicion over the sport mm. and to create uneducated and uninformed chatter. And that's what kills everything is, is you just set social media ablaze. Now, Social media would have teed off if Supercars had put out a press release earlier on the week going, hey, we're going to make a few minor little tweaks to the Commodore's front aero and the rear wing angle to try and bring it closer. And bear in mind, as we've covered off umpteen times before this year, they're allowed to do that by the definition of the rules. That is absolutely their right and their mandate to try and create technical parity. And we've been through that uh, ad nauseum this year. Um, But just by getting on the front foot and going, hey, we're just continuing to work on this. Put Adrian Burgess in front of a camera. Put a statement out from the CEO, Sean Seymour, whatever you need to do. Getting on the front foot, just avoid some of the the stress that comes out from something being broken by a media outlet, as it was by Tom Howard on Friday morning on Speak Cafe. So the AFL should actually be across this being in Melbourne has copped an absolute pasting this year for having or at least being perceived as having their head in the sand mm. with a lot of issues, the, the goal line, score review technology, one of them, the fan dramas for the last couple of weeks is another. 
Um, and by not saying anything at all, they have been absolutely smashed by the media and smashed by the fans. And any apologies that come are a too little, too late kind of scenario. I just don't want us going down that road. I don't think we need to. Get on the front foot, go, hey, we're making some changes. We're all trying to make it better for everybody. And away we go. Rich, I've got to say that they weren't going to be able to hide it. It was very obvious that the teams, Holton teams up and down pit lane, were having doing something to their front bars all the way through Friday. Whether and it was, it was only the Holton teams who were doing it. Set, it was uh, very obvious that it was out there in the open that they were doing stuff to it, so they wouldn't have been able to keep it a secret. I mean, I think the thing, going back a little ways after Phil Pyle and before Barbara Gallo when they had the last round of aero tweaks, all we wanted was to see their working out. It's all good to say that we've got these uh, CFD things in play and whatnot, but they never showed they're working out. And then it was funny, I read in auto action a piece with the parity changes to the uh, to the Mustangs, that it was negotiated. It wasn't supercar saying, you've got to do this. It was mm. negotiated. What? what? Either it's black and white that there's an issue there that needs to be changed and you know there's maths to back it up. But how do you go about negotiating parity changes? Like, that doesn't make sense, does it? No. no. Well, no, it doesn't. But, yeah, I, I, it's such a touchy subject, isn't it? And it's hard. And, and, look, I agree with the point that people would have would have found out ultimately. But people shouldn't have to find out about the most talked about discussion point of the season by wandering down pit lane and going, why are they changing the front under tray of their front wings and why the rear angles been rear wing angles been fixed. And the other point is, is that it, it wouldn't have come out and like not formally anyway, until it was confirmed by the team owners that were in the team owner press conference on Friday, um, who said, yeah, well, that's, that's what we're doing. We thought you guys already knew awkward. Um, and yeah, that, that for me is the problem. The change, I, I don't have any particular dramas with the change though. I agree with you, Mark, that, It'd be nice to to get a bit more of an understanding about why and the result of what that particular change is going to achieve for the teams and what their mandate or what their what their idea for making that change was. That that for me is the more interesting bit. I, I make as many changes as they like to get the cars as close as they think they can get them. But like you said, show us your maths and and an understanding of exactly why it's happening, so it doesn't feel like they're just taking swings in the dark, which they're not. But try and avoid making it feel like that. Mark, the thing that uh, was weird to me was the fact that they've been, uh, for all intents and purposes, they've been pretty open about this whole parody thing from the start and about changes and what they were going to do to you know, to, to test the, the Mustang and how they are going to make those changes and the like. And I've just got a feeling that the reason why they didn't want to communicate this was because I think they copped a pretty big belting from the last lot of changes to the Mustang in regards to the uh, the rear wing and the like. And I think people, you know, were, were going on saying, oh, you know, they obviously got the parody wrong in the first place. Now they've got to change it and how stupid is that and all this sort of stuff. So I think they sort of thought, well, if we don't say anything, then we won't cop that basing that we copped. But in turn, they actually did. I, I don't know, Shebex. I can't read their mind or read their PR playbook on it, but, um, you know, they've, Obviously, that their reasoning behind what they do, yeah, weird. I've got no idea. If, if you go, the, the funny thing is, this isn't a new thing. Uh, and the, I've been cleaning out the office, and I've found a whole bunch of old magazines. And 
One of them is a preview for the 1994 Shell Australian Touring Car Championship. And in that was a quite in-depth article about the politicking that was going on throughout 1993, which was the first year of the homegrown five-litre touring car regs, about changes to the Falcons under tray and the Commodore not being competitive enough throughout the championship and vice versa. And so this, this, this political games have been going on for near on 30 years. They'll continue to go on, um, and it's certainly better now than it, than it ever was in terms of competition level and the technology involved, but clearly there's uh, there's a way to go. But, I, yeah, I think to summarise on this point, Shipex, this point was as much about the communication of how people found out about the change rather than the change itself. It was and all that's about where that. I think it raised the hackles, yeah. Yeah, absolutely all about that. I'll tell you what, though, uh, I'm sure another thing that's going to appear very heavily in the uh, hot or not situation or the power rankings uh, on the race talk this week uh, is the uh, team principal uh, uh, press conference, which I thought was an absolute ripper. Yeah, I uh, I watched the, watched the video back. I was calling a session at the time, so you didn't see it. Um, I, I like it. it. It's just another good good way to get access to these guys and uh, the banter was all reasonably convivial between them and, and they spoke pretty clearly about it all and uh, about the topics that were raised and obviously the, the parody changes change it up but look, it's just it's a good thing just to add uh, add a little bit of extra to it and, and Friday press conferences at supercar rounds in the past has just been a waste of time because practice has been generally a waste of time in terms of getting a form guide for the weekend so they're changing it up a bit by getting some new people in front of the media to sit down um, to to ask, be asked some questions and hopefully give some interesting answers. It's not going to be a forum where breaking news is, comes out. It's just they're never never going to be to that point where they sit down with the team owners and one of them goes, oh, by, by the way, I've signed Scott McLaughlin for the next 10 years. Um, there'll be... It's not that forum, but to get a bit of debate, to generate some news, it's not a bad thing. Well, Mark, it did seem like for a while there that the uh, the topic that was going to hijack the whole of that team principal press conference was going to be the Chas Mostert situation. Yeah, absolutely. Silly season's really heating up, isn't it? I mean, where is Chas going to go? I mean, is he going to stay? Is Scotty going to go? I mean, there's a thing that's just come out this evening. Uh, just before we've recorded this, uh, that Scotty might still be on his way over to the States. Here's one for you. I'm just making this one up. I've got no intelligence of it at all. But why couldn't Penske go to three cars? Mm. They've got a big enough shed. They've got the resources. Mm. I'm sure they could find some money to do it. Yeah, there's, there's precedent as well with their IndyCar program. They've added cars in the past because they've had too many drivers that when Will Power was there doing a part-time campaign. He came back from injury and they added a car for him, ultimately became full-time. They added a car for Castro Nevers to continue running the Indy 500 after he was was retired or retired from full-time. They added, added a car for Ryan Blaney on the NASCAR side too. Yeah, correct. So, so yeah, President's there. You can imagine a three-car Penske, Penske team. The only thing for mine is that 90% of the team owners you speak to will tell you that a three-car model in supercars doesn't work. It works different in the States with the way they structure their teams, but um, that's why we've seen four-car teams be prevalent in supercars instead of three. But, it, hey, it may work. If anyone can make it function properly, it's uh, it's Team Penske. So it's an interesting theory. I don't mind it. 
Imagine, I like it. Imagine McLaughlin, Coulthard, and Mostert as your three drivers. Oh. In oh, bloody hell. <laughs> if uh, if they're not dominant enough now, one would yeah. think that that combination might just put the uh, the seal right on it. So let's talk about that dominance. It was another dominating weekend for Scotty McLaughlin, the first driver ever to win the inverted commas triple crown, the uh, take pole position and win both races. You got a lovely little trophy for doing that, which I'm not sure was there on the Saturday, but it definitely was on the Sunday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do we think? The funny, the funny thing about that was that the only thing people in the media room could talk about on Sunday was that, I don't know how many years ago it was, probably several, uh, that one of the previous sponsors of that event put a hundred grand up. For I'm the pretty sure it driver. was a casino. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, but I think the casino business is struggling at the moment. <laughs> so uh, that, that disappeared. It might just... I can just imagine that uh, that it would have been Scotty McLaughlin to take the world's biggest single-day payday in supercars, but uh, unfortunately, that's about the only thing he hasn't won this season. Yeah, it was dominant. Uh, he, he crushed them. But but in the end, and, and it was Chad Nalen who pointed it out, he actually won the Triple Crown by a hundredth of a second. Yes. Because it was his, his shootout lap didn't, and he was behind Fabian in two of the three sectors. Uh, in his top 10 shootout lap on Sunday. And as he is prone to do, he pulled it from the fire in the final sector and nabbed pole by half a tenth, if, if that. And that's what won him, the, won him the, uh, the triple crown because his race pace was unbeatable on the weekend. So it was, once again, it was qualifying that saved the day for Scott McLaughlin. Yeah, Rich, uh, the stats are just stacking up for Scotty, aren't they? I mean, we'll, we'll have a story up on the race talk a little bit later on this week uh, comparing his current seasons to a few of the other recent modern era seasons where there's been a bit of a crush. But you mm. look at it, 12 wins, 16 races. So it's a 75% win rate. The best we've had in the Supercar era was Lowndes in 96, and he ran at 53%. Uh, podium finishes, he's had two finishes off the podium, uh, essentially like a non-start and a fourth. So he's running at 88% there. The best uh, podium strike rate recently has been win cup at 80% in 2012. Poles, 69% this year. The best uh, comparison is Wink Up in 2012, 47%. So mm. he's uh, absolutely smoking that. The only one that he's uh, sort of been let down by has been the percentage of laps, laps led, which goes to Lowndes in 96. Uh, is 56% versus Scotty's 53% this year. Oh. A couple of things to keep in mind there. Back in those days, there were three 20-minute races, so there weren't any pit stops or pit strategy coming into play. And the whole 1996 season was 510 laps. So yep. far this year, we've had 781. So it sort of shows you how times have changed and we're at the halfway mark. Can I also yeah, and, can and, I also just suggest on that that the third thing to that is the only lap you really need to be in front of is the one where you cross the finish line. Yeah, but a, a level. One. Yeah, but a level of a sign of domination is how long you spend out in front of a motor race and you know leading every lap and leading all the way through. And you know there's what there's more than 750 laps to go this year and I reckon he'll lead a lot of them here's one without notice for you two how do we feel about it not not the, the stats are amazing and, and it's clearly dominant and it's clearly already one of the most dominant seasons in the history of the sport but what what do you guys feel as a vibe because I remember when I was quite a lot younger I hated the dominant seasons even if it was a team that I like now I happen to go on record saying I was a Holden Racing Team fan and even when Mark Scase was absolutely crushing them in the early 2000s, didn't like it. I just wanted to see different winners. But 
I feel different about this. I am completely and utterly okay with what's going on. Now, maybe it's the benefit of experience and time in the sport and understanding how it all works. I don't know. But I feel like we are watching something utterly astonishing that we probably won't see to this level again in our sport in the future, unless he comes back and does it again next year. I, that's that's my vibe. I'm I'm just if he goes and wins every other race for the remainder of the season, it'll be something that's talked about for the next fifty years in our sport. It'll be one of those seasons that you highlight in your book by going, I was there to watch a driver crush one of the most competitive fields in motor racing. Thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Scotty's on my board too. I don't mind it. You know, Scotty's a different cat. You know, he's got the charisma. He's got the personality that sort of sticks him out of the crowd a bit. Like, mm. and he had that before he started this crush that he's on. Mm. You know, it's been there all along and he hasn't lost it. You know, you look at the stats. Jamie's been in the sport 18 years now. He's got 113 wins. You know, Scotty's been there eight years. You think he's been there a fair while. He's got 37 mm. wins to his credit. So, um, Jamie's still running a bit of a better percentage there as far as wins go. You know, he's on a bit of a streak at the moment. He's won five straight. Um, the best we've had in the modern era was Lowndes in 96 with eight. And Jamie won seven straight in 2008. So, yeah, he needs to win a few more races there at Council and QR to uh, absolutely claim those stats. So, He's definitely on a tear at the moment, though. Um, you know, we've had three other race winners this year. We've had Chaz, Van Giz, and Fabian um, have a win. You think back to 2012, we only had three other winners for the entire season. Uh, mm. It was the the two Triple Eight guys and two FDR guys. So I mean, that was pretty predictable. So we've still got half the season here to go for others to step up and and claim some wins there to uh, even out the stats a bit. So time will tell, won't it? Mm. I, I haven't got a problem with it this year. If it was to continue into next year and the year after, then maybe I'm thinking, hang on, this is just probably a bit too much. But I agree with you. I think we all should be sitting back and enjoying what possibly could be the last year of a Scott McLaughlin domination of V8 supercars. Because yeah, I have yeah. I have no doubt that he will go to America and drive for Penske over there at some mm. point, and that could even be next year. So we may never see another domination like this from another driver. And if I have a look at the current crop of drivers that are around, I can't actually see one that could probably even get close to this sort of domination. Yeah, and The other thing, and, and Mark mentioned that Triple Eight season in 12, the, the thing that differentiates this year from that is that it is just a, it's a one-car bandwagon at the moment. Mm. And with the, with the fullest of respect to Fabian, and he's having a good season, like, any other year in the record books, he'd be having a really good year. He's won two races. He's been on the podium a lot. He's been the perfect second driver for that team. And he's second in the championship. Outstanding. Great job, Fabs. And he's turned around a really tough season last year as well uh, to be to be a regular front runner. But in the same machinery, he's been utterly beaten by Scott McLaughlin in stats and in every other measurable and immeasurable way you can look at the way the championship's playing out at the moment. But you look at, you know, Fabian's season. He called his shot the first time he drove that car last year, that this will suit my driving soul better. We knew that. We knew that from Phil Fallon Testo this year, that it's a car that's, you know, much more to his liking, which, you know, yeah. the drivers are finicky creatures, aren't they? They yeah. like or hate different things. You know, if it's something like a 
tyre compound, the tyre construction, completely throw a driver out of whack. The fact that Fabian's got a car that sort of plays to his strengths and, you know, he's probably seen that this year and done it justice. But plenty um, of time, time will tell. I mean, he was nothing off pole position there on Sunday. If he was yeah. starting on the inside line there, got the run of the first corner, things could have been different. Good time at this point, boys, to uh, play a quick interview that I had with Dave Reynolds uh, straight after the final race on Sunday to have a chat to him about his thoughts on the day. All right, catching up with Dave Reynolds, mate. Uh, congratulations, second for the week. That's not too bad. Yeah, mate, we're very, very happy with that. Um, I think we maximised everything we had out there. You know, our pit stops were amazing. I think we were fast in pit lane uh, Sunday. I think both cars were either first or third or second and third or something like that. We were really on top of, our, top of the game in pit lane, which, you know, I love seeing because the boys do such a good job and they work so hard and it's kind of their little reward. Um, on the track, though, you know, we made improvements on the car from Saturday to Sunday and uh, went forward. And I was very, very happy with that. And the great thing is, too, Anton's uh, starting to turn it around as well. He probably didn't have the best of starts to the year, but he's uh, he's starting to come right into it as well. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very good one lap pace. He's very, very, very fast. It pushes me. Well, it doesn't really push me, but, you know, I, I drive the car the best I can. But, you know, we can we learn off each other. He watches my data, learns off me. I watch his data and he set up ideas and we learn off each other. And that kind of pushes the team forward, which is kind of perfect. That's someone you want. Uh, in, in, in the next car in the car next year but yeah he's just uh, I think he might he's just getting he's a little bit better in the yep. races you know um, but that just comes with experience he's super 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 young and it's only his second full time year and he's got plenty to learn but how frustrating is it just seeing that Shell V Power car just powering away every single bloody race knowing that you guys are doing the best you can and it's just not enough uh, yeah, it kind of sucks, but it's it could be just a function of the category because, you know, those Mustangs have come in and they're kind of dominating everything at the minute. So, you know, we can jag podiums here and there, but, you know, do we have a chance to win? I'm not sure. Yeah, what, what more can you guys do? Is... I don't know, just... just... Oh, I have no idea, my yeah. friend. We're looking at everything we can as a fine... over a fine... you know, running a fine tooth comb through the whole lot, but... You know, we're constantly coming with ideas to improve our car and maybe they just got on top of their car a lot better. Obviously, there was lots of um, deficiencies on our on our side at the start of the year and, and supercars doing their best to correct it over time. Um, but, yeah, is it is it perfect? Probably not. They probably should have had it done sort of at the start of the year, but, you know, it's good to see they're still making changes to the category and trying to improve it. Uh, Townsville, next up. Yep. Not a bad track. A pretty fun track, actually. Yeah, great track. Um, most of the time it's been a Holden-dominated track, but we'll have to wait and see how the Fords roll out. But, mate, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a great track, great atmosphere. It's a real fun race, hard race, street track, my type of, my type of style. Wish you all the best, mate. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. So there you go, boys. Dave Reynolds chatting to me in the truck after the race. And I think the most important thing for me out of that was the fact that, and he also said it at the press conference too, is that, he believes that they got the best that they could get out of that car over the weekend. Uh, they mm. probably could not do any better than what they did, and they were still 14 seconds away in second. Yeah, but, but behind one of the two shell forwards, and that was the point I was making earlier, Erebus are the second best Holden, or the second best team at the moment in the sport, uh, and they're the, they're the lead Holden outfit. Um, Red Bull Holden racing team had a, a really challenging weekend, Shane was nowhere near it all weekend. And, and Winkup, his, his drive on Sunday was one of those great drives from a champion 
as he, he blazed his way through the field. Really impressive, but uh, really never looked like getting near the podium. So Erebus are, are bang on the money at the moment. Dave's been on the podium three of the last four races. He's been in the top four for the last four races. And since that strange start to the season, we, we talked about it on the podcast then, they have got that team firing. And I get the feeling that they'll go really well in Townsville in a couple of weeks as well. So, uh, yeah, look, they're getting beaten by by 17 for sure. But outside of that, the uh, the Penrite Commodores are, are pretty decent things. Um, but you know what, Rich? It, you know what it says is that the Holden's not a piece of junk. It is no. capable. Yeah, correct. No, exactly right. Yep. Yep. And it exposes the the, the troubles and the, the struggles that Triple Eight are having. That, that's been one of the biggest stories of the first half of the season. So it's not necessarily a parody thing like we, we've talked about quite a lot on this particular podcast as well, that uh, it's it's one driver and one team doing a better job than everybody else. The other thing too, guys, uh, that I suppose we – is there people with egg on their face in regards to Erebus at the moment? And, and let's be honest, Erebus were a parody. They were, they were a joke of supercars back in their beginnings with the Mercedes, and you now they weren't finishing races, and there was a lot of there was a lot of things being spoken about, a lot of people laughing about the team. Is there people out there now with egg on their face now that Erebus have turned it around? And I think that turning around all happened, didn't it, a couple of years ago in Bathurst? It's just a matter of having the right people and the right culture and the right mix of people, isn't it? I mean, it's a people sport. It's not like we've got computers back there doing the setups and tuning up the drivers and building the components. I mean. It's those human factors that they've got and they've got together and that are gelling with the current set of regulations. They've got their head around the single spring stuff better than a lot of these other Holden teams. So, you know, all power to them. It was something, I think, when when Dave went there and it was something of a lifeline for Reynolds at the time uh, and, and his quirky personality and the quirky personality of Betty Clemenko gelled and I think that was the first piece in the puzzle and then getting... Barry Ryan on board to run the show from a team management point of view was was one of the more critical decisions. Um, and, and I think I've read somewhere, and Betty said it was like the, the band of misfits. It was a group of people all coming together. And uh, Alistair McVeigh, the engineer, was was in the same scenario, come across from, uh, he was at Walkinshaw, I think, at the time, and, and left there. So they, they just put this group of people together, as Mark said, and it really gelled. Um, yeah, were they a were they a joke? There was some parody involved, certainly in their early early days. It was certainly fun to watch what was going on down there. But the way they've engineered themselves into an absolute proper racing car team is to be contended at all levels, right from the top, from from Betty giving the team ownership free reign to to make it a good race team, and they they are the one of the better teams in the sport at the moment, and certainly they are the most in the last three rounds, the most consistent Holden team uh, on the grid and the only one consistently challenging the, the shell forward. So all power to them. It's a yeah. great story. Yep, kudos to them for doing that. The uh, the other thing I want to bring up, boys, is the fact that uh, in that team principal uh, press conference we had on the Friday, I think it was on the Friday or the Thursday, whenever it mm. was, uh, one thing that the, the guys, uh, the Tim Edwards from uh, Tickford was really strong in pointing out is that we must give Chaz, a championship-winning car, if we're to have any opportunity of holding on to him, they've got to provide that. Could that be to the detriment of the other cars in Tickford, is that they may focus so much on keeping Chad that the other cars may lose focus a little bit? Uh, that, that's a tough one. Um, 
I, I'd say no because they've restructured that team in the off season. They're they're going about things a different way, and and from what we can tell, that that's sort of working because they've had a better year already this year. Though how much of that's down to Mustang factor or not, you'll never really know. And and the fact remains that they are still getting roundly beaten by the other the only other team on the grid running for Mustang. So that's probably a pretty fair indicator of, of where Tickford are at, but that they consistently have all four of their cars in the top 10. Uh, Will Davison was denied a podium on Saturday uh, with uh, that, that pit lane penalty that he got for, for the contact with Reynolds in pit lane. So he would have been second or third had it not been for that drama. Uh, as to your question, Shebex, I, I don't know. You have to be careful about just putting all your energy into one driver, but I think they're smarter than that. Um, they, they know that they've got to focus on all four cars. They've got sponsors that they need to look after. They've got Cam Waters, who's close to being really, really good. He's not quite there yet, but he isn't far away, you feel. Um, and then they've got Lee Holdsworth, who's trying to fight to continue his career, and uh, Will Davison for 23 red for what's essentially a customer now of that team. Um, trying to continue to, to be a contender as he has been for a long time. So do they put all their resources into Chaz? No, but they'll know that they need to give him a car that's capable of winning races. But it, it'd be amazing, Mark, how quickly things would turn around if they go and win Bathurst or the Gold Coast or one of the big races at the end of the year, which that team, to their credit, has done quite well over the last decade. You know, I think... In an ideal world, with your four-car team, you'd have four drivers of the same driving style, and you could send them all out there and you know, all pull in the same direction with setup and all that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure where their drivers are at with their driving styles because often you see that within these four-car teams that you know one driver might have a, a gun set up for a certain circuit and it doesn't translate to the other drivers. So Kelly, right? I think it helps if well, yeah. I mean, it helps if you've got all your guys there pulling in the same direction sort of thing that that edges everyone else on. If, you know, what you learn from one driver, you can transfer over to the others. I think that's very helpful. Whether they can do that or not, I'm not sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. The other story that's come out in the last uh, day or so also uh, on Speak FA today was the story about the calendar for 2020 and a fair bit of talk that Phillip Island and Winton could be off the calendar and whether that's just uh, political talk to try and get the government to put some money up uh, to save those two events or where the supercars are serious. Scott Seamer saying that he doesn't believe that we can race, unfortunately, at every single track in Australia, every major track at least in Australia. A 14-race uh, season looks to be the model that they're going to go with, an early start for Adelaide, uh, probably a same start for Newcastle, and racing every three weeks it looks like. Yeah, so, so this is an interesting one, and, and it's worth talking a bit about those two events in particular. So the Phillip Island event is promoted by Supercars Events. It's promoted by the business itself. Um, it doesn't draw a large crowd. It's had a loyal sponsor in WD-40, but not an enormous amount of commercial return to it. Um, the irony is, is that this year's Phillip Island event was probably the best one that they've had in the last five years in terms of not just in attendance, but the support program, the whole package and how it played out. It was a really good weekend. Uh, So it it would be wise to assume that that event probably doesn't make much money, if any at all. Mm. Winton is a co-promotion with the Benella Auto Club. So they split down the middle the the costs to put on that event. Um, There's a, a small fee, I believe, paid to supercars from the BAC, but 
there's a lot of supercars event input into that as well. Um, the irony of that is that that event over the last five years has grown significantly. Um, they're one of the few that have significantly increased their crowd number. Their camping numbers go up every year and there's great value in camping for events because it's an easy way to monetize things, charging for a site, charging for a ticket. They eat and drink at the racetrack for most of the weekend. It's, it's a pretty good way of adding revenue to an event. Uh, so they're, they're two very, very different models in how they're promoters. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but of the two, it makes more sense to drop Phillip Island. One of the best racetracks in the world, but from an event perspective, Winton would, would I would say, on the bottom line, stack up better. And it's your core regional centres, Heartland, Victoria, use all the cliches you can, that the sport, I feel, should probably still have a presence. So if you had to choose one, you'd probably get rid of Phillip Island, which you don't make any money on, and put all your eggs in the Winton basket to grow your grow your Victorian presence. But in the end, it'll come down to what the Victorian government wants to do. They already spend an enormous amount of money on the Australian Grand Prix, Mm -hmm. to which they're committed for another decade. Um, So there'll be a a bottom line discussion at the highest ends of government going, well, where do we tip our money? And then supercars will have to deal with whatever's left over as to what events they have. 14's probably the number, though, and, and that's the number that teams are going... This is what makes sense financially. If we can cut two trips off our program, especially in that really busy first half of the year, that's a pretty significant cost saving. That's probably a couple hundred grand out of your budget. Uh, And in these tight and challenging times, that's probably a good thing and it kind of has to be done. Yeah, I mean, Phillip Island's been dropped before and looks like it'll probably go again. I mean, it's sort of just played ping pong on the calendar. Summer, winter, summer, winter, Mm. you know, try and get a bit of date equity going, but... It's never really got the traction. I, I feel it would be of advantage if they had the camping thing going there at Phillip Island because it is, mm. it, you know, it's you can do a day trip from Melbourne, but it'd be a lot better if you could stay at the track for the weekend. Yeah, we'll see. We will see, gentlemen. Uh, anything else we need to cover off? Uh, well, it's, it's just it's an interesting time, isn't it? Uh, I, I just I'd like to talk about. Uh, Carrera Cup with my Porsche hat on because oh, yes, it was an ex- ex- extraordinary weekend of racing and and they've had four different winners from four rounds in that championship so far. Cup Challenge second tier series has had three different winners from three rounds. Um, it, it's just so unbelievably competitive. Uh, yeah, what a championship and and heartbreak for for young Jordan Love who was mm. an innocent victim in a, a crash in race two on Sunday, uh, broken bone in his left hand. Um, he's since gone to hospital in Perth, uh, had a couple, as he said in a Facebook post, have had a couple of tech screws in there. I'm expecting sponsorship from Bunnings at the next round. Um, he needs to, he needs to keep racing because there's more than just a championship on the line for the young guys in Carrera Cup. There's a, um, there's a junior drive in Germany on offer as well for the best junior driver later this season. So he cannot afford to miss a round. You hate seeing someone in in someone else's accident um, being caught up in that, especially when they're a young bloke doing a really impressive job this season. So that's where they're saying. The other quick discussion we could probably have, uh, we, we talked about the support program there, boys, um, and it was pretty good. We liked the local categories. I think they, they add a, a certain local value, and it was good to see HQs. But does that event need another reasonably high-profile national-level category, do you think? I, I'm, yep. I'm probably biased because I, I work for them and call them, but I feel like it missed Touring Car Masters this year. It missed that extra 
profile sort of grip. Do you agree on that? Yeah, I think it either needs a touring car masters, it needs a, a super two or a super three, one of the two, or a, a or a U two. It, it does need something. One, just one more. Mm. I think the, the support program for the next two rounds actually looks pretty good. Of course, Council always has a a good uh, undercard, but also QR. They've got yeah main game super two and super three, as well as the other categories uh, along there. So it, it should be a cracker compared to recent years. The funny thing about it is they ran that Asian D- GT series in Adelaide at the start of the year. Wouldn't Darwin be the perfect place for that? Well, you, yeah, you'd think so. But they uh, they enjoy going to the street circuit and the big event in uh, in Adelaide. So yeah, Audi, Audi I think the perfect back. location would have the perfect location probably Asia for those guys, <laughs> and we just keep yeah. racing in Australia. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, we're good. Yeah. Uh, boys, thank you once again. Appreciate your input into this week's program. Uh, Richard, we'll catch up next week. I might even try and get Tim Edwards on next week for a chat. Yeah, let's let's put the uh, put the grill on as far as uh as far as Tassie Mostert goes. Hmm. See what goes on there. But no, very good. Great weekend. Uh I, I Darwin is and I, I say this hand on heart to, to anyone who asks. It's one of the must do events on the calendar. Get up there, especially if you're if you're south of the Barassi line, especially, please get up there because uh, when you get on the plane at Tuller Marina Adelaide Airport and it's three degrees and you jump off and it's 33, oh, it's one of the oh. great the great feelings. It's, uh, it's terrific. It certainly is. The beer, was... tastes, the beer tastes better up there too, boys, doesn't it? I don't, I don't know what it is. It's the vibe. Mm. Well, we drank enough of it to know that. <laughs> no, no, we're very, very responsible <laughs> on the group. Speak for yourself. Extremely responsible. Yes, no, you were. We were. We were. Uh, thank you, boys. Talk next week. Cheers. Mark Walker and Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, time to talk everything two wheels, and we do that with our good mate, Mark Brax. Braxy, g'day to you. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm fantastic. Uh, Catalonia. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Mark Marquez takes a win, but some casualties. Yeah, well, I suppose um, the previous Grand Prix we were talking about how good the racing was, and that'll go down in folklore, whereas uh, this one will go down for all the wrong reasons, I suppose. Um when you said, you know, like Mark Marquez walked away with it and won it by, what, three, four seconds or something, but it was what happened halfway through the second lap that um, has everybody talking with uh, Marquez's teammate, uh, Jorge Lorenzo, um, turning into a bit of a bowling ball, I suppose, at that uh, notorious hairpin at um, Barcelona there, about halfway through the lap, which is... Uh, Interestingly, that's been it's not the usual corner that they use for many years at Barcelona, the, the uh, Moto GP or the motorcycle corner, which had a lot more easier entry. That's the Formula One corner, as you well, well know, that uh, they've been using for the last couple of years since the fatal accident to uh, Louis Salon back there um, when he was tragically killed. Not at that corner, but uh, two corners or three corners after that. Mm. And it's puzzled a lot of people... Uh, including the riders, why they continue to use that one when they've made the other safety upgrades to the track, which they reverted back to the uh, the old style of track and not using that Formula One chicane just before the uh, entrance into Turn 14, into the final turn, which brings you onto the straight. But 
Mate, what a um, – I was um, yelling at the screen. I thought, here we go. We're going to be in for another fantastic race. Mark has got the whole shot, but Davisioso wasn't too far away getting there and mixing up with him. As we know, the Ducati's pretty uh, dominant there in the uh, previous couple of years. And Jorge Lorenzo uh, looked like he was coming to the fore for the weekend. But, well, it's one of those ones we'll never, ever know. Can I ask you, Braxy, what the hell was he doing up there? Uh, well, he went to Japan between Mugello and Catalonia uh, under the, well, I suppose the invitation of HRC to try and sort some things out. And they actually modified the bike by putting, uh, I suppose you'd call it little winglets on the end of the tank so he could act like he did with the Ducati mm. um, that were attached to the tank. And it allows you to get more grip with your legs and use your legs more to steer the bike. And uh, and he also changed the seat as well to help him um, be more comfortable on the bike and take more weight off his arms and use his lower body and core strength to steer the bike a lot more. And by that, he was improving throughout the sessions. And uh, he went. He also picked having a soft tyre. I think the philosophy of Honda was to use the soft tyre and try and break away because the temperature... Uh, the track temperature, particularly on on the Sunday, was the hottest of, of the weekend, and it was up to I think it was fifty five degrees sure, at the start yes. of the race. And so I- it was going to be very critical. And as we're seeing with the one mate tyre rule, um, tyres have been playing a part in deciding races for quite some time. And it's a it all depends on what tyre choices you make. And I think Marquez was trying to make them give chase and use their tyres up even though they were going for the harder tyres, he was trying to make that break and then consolidate throughout the race. And um, um, Lorenzo did the same thing, and he was right up there. And uh, But unfortunately, just went in there a little bit hot. And I think he was balked a bit too, because he hasn't been up the front with these guys and seen what they're doing in a race. The Vicioso, and for that matter, Petrucci on the Ducatis, their corner entry is a lot different. They've got to basically slow the bike right up to get it the tip onto the side of the tyre to get it through the turn. And they you, then they can get on the gas and use the superior acceleration of the, the Ducati to keep in touch with everybody and then use the power on the straights, which we all know that the Ducati for a few years has been the fastest one in the straight line. So they've got to make up for the deficiency in the cornering uh, so they can take advantage of the straight line speed of it. And he got in there. The Vicioso, you've look, I've looked at it quite a few times. Now, he was having a, a wider line getting in there to mm. ease his entry into the corner. And then Marquette come around him and got into the lead just before then. And he was, the Vicioso looked like he was trying for the under and over. Okay, you go that way, I'm going to get you on the exit. But unfortunately, uh, Lorenzo's closing speed was that much that he's come right up onto the the back end of uh, the Vicioso, and I th- he was already um, tipped into the corner. He's just squeezed the um, brake lever that little bit extra to try and slow himself up. But unfortunately, with that de- uh, degree of lean angle, it was enough for the physics to take over, and uh, he uh, turned into the bowling ball, which took Divisioso out first, and Divisioso's bike took out Vignales, and Vignales ended up taking out his teammate. So it was uh, carnage all round, and it, from then on it uh, turned into a procession. Yeah, it did, unfortunately. And the worst part about the accident was the fact that 
we took the main rival to Mark Marquez in the championship out of the race, which now allows Marquez a 37-point margin between himself and Divisioso, and that is likely to probably nearly seal the championship, I would have thought, for Marquez. Yeah, very much so. I've said that a couple of times on social media and things, and people have said, oh, it's only halfway through the season. But there's 12 races to go. Um, with Mark Kepsen's talent, he could actually drop two races to already Correct. add to his DNF in America. He could drop 50 points to be 37, uh, 13 points behind if the Vicioso keeps winning races. But as we know... These other guys are fighting amongst themselves to take points off each other and take the wins. Marquette is the only constant when it comes to winning races. And if there's 12 races left, you'd be pretty safe to say that he's going to win six of them, wouldn't you? So yeah. with that in mind, and you can see the look on Davicioso's face when he was back in the pit box, he would knew then that the championship was almost out of reach. He's got to, Marquette has got to lose the championship for himself. You know, these guys can try and make up points. Divisioso has got to win every race, and that's what's. Um, if there's five points between first and second, he's got to win more. He's got to win seven races, and Marquez come no better than second to even get within two points of that lead. So you know, it's a, as we know, it's a long season. There's 19 races, but Marquez he can. Well, we've seen him actually crash, and he still picks the bike up. Mm. Any other uh, mortal being would be into the kitty litter, and. You know, it really has taken off the gloss of what was shaping up as a tremendous championship. And, you know, I do not wish anybody to have ill fortune um, put upon them. You know, the, the best man wins. And Marquez, you know, like, he, he's, his fortune shines on him that much that, you know, if he fell into a barrel of tits, he'd come up smothered in him. Um, he's just, if he hadn't made that move on Divisioso going into that corner, he quite well have been, might well have been the one that was taken out by um, Lorenzo, and that would have been worth a, a truckload of popcorn to see what would have been happening in the pits after that, because they'd already had a few words to each other after uh, Q1 and Q or Q2 and uh, FP4, mm-hmm. where uh, Marquette wasn't too happy with Lorenzo's riding style and let it be known while he was on the bike. There may have been a and finger pointed was- towards Lorenzo, wasn't there, at some point? Yeah, or one of the seagulls that was flying over this um, the coastal track of Barcelona that he was pointing to as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but and even on when they were doing the practice starts on the back straight there, uh, they both pulled up beside each other, albeit a couple of meters apart. And uh, look, um, Marquette was still giving him a piece of his mind, and Lorenzo looked over him to say, "Well, what's the matter? I haven't done anything." Mm. Um, but saying that, Vignali's got uh, penalised for uh, going slow on the final lap of Q2, and he was uh, relegated three spots on the grid. So um, the wrath of the stewards was there, but there's been no um, uh, comeback on Lorenzo, even though Bradley Smith got um, penalised for taking out his teammate as well. Uh, sorry, not his teammate, Alicia Spargo on the uh, Aprilia for making him crash, and they were back way back in the field with no inkling of getting podium spots or anything. And it's quite interesting that there's been no um, uh, recompense or, you know, um, penalty for yeah. Lorenzo for what he did. I think Lorenzo will be hiding from everybody. But fair play to Lorenzo. He came out straight well, during that race and actually said, look, I made a mistake. It was all my fault. I've gone in there a bit hot. 
misjudged at all. I, I wish I'd been the only one that had come down, but you know, I'm, I hope I can make it up to the guys. But when you've taken a chance of a championship away from Davicioso, who, as we know, has gone so close in the last couple of years to claiming that elusive MotoGP title, this year has like gone well out of his reach. He certainly has. The other winner out of the weekend, uh, Braxy, before we wrap it up, was uh, Daniello Petrucci, who looks like he secured yeah. that uh, Ducati contract. And Jack Miller, while it seems like he may have been offered a ride on the new bike next year, not necessarily with the factory team. No, not at uh, Well, Jack Miller has been offered a ride, whether he gets the, the 2020 version, because they've already promised that to his teammate, uh, Paco Bagnaia, the... Uh, current uh, Moto2 champion, not that he's defending it being a MotoGP, but uh, they only really give one extra bike to a satellite rider. And Jack's come out and said, if I've done my apprenticeship, I'm the lead rider. If I don't get that bike for next year, I'll be looking elsewhere. But he hasn't got a lot of places to look at. No, correct. With the rider swapping going on, um, he'll only be signing a one-year deal because at the end of 2020, then all hell breaks loose because all the contracts of all the major players are all up for grabs. So there will be um, the silly season will probably start, well, at the beginning of the season to see who's going where. A lot of that depending on whether Valentino Rossi decides to um, stay on or will he move off. Uh, he'll be nearly 42 years old by the end of 2020. So Jack has got to find somewhere for the next year to keep him happy before this uh the monopoly and the silly season really takes hold. Yeah, he certainly does. Well, we move to uh, Assen for the next Grand Prix in, uh, not this weekend, but well, next weekend. It's funny you should mention that with Jack Miller and Assen almost in the same sentence. Yes. With, uh, we know where Jack Miller won his first GP Correct. back there in, uh, a couple of years ago, and you can bet your bottom dollar while the sun might have been shining on the majority of uh, Barcelona and Mugello for the last two races. You can rest assured that there'll be some cloud cover at Assen and whether that happens all over the three days of the meeting or at one particular time, we know it's going to happen and there's a good chance that it could happen on race day. So Jack might be able to salvage a few things and from what he was saying in his post-race stuff and everything, the deal hasn't been signed with Petrucci as yet, but Ducati would be a very brave company to actually... uh, say no to an Italian on an Italian bike that's won his first Grand Prix in front of the Italian crowd. So it's going to be quite interesting the next couple of rounds. And then we only have a few days break before they reconvene in Germany, which can also be uh, inundated with rain, as we've seen in past years, before they have the summer break. So the intrigue continues, even though that Marquette might have that um, elusive 37-point lead at the moment. Yeah, it certainly does, Braxy. Uh, wait and see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Always great to chat with you, mate. Look forward to doing it again soon. No worries. And I must say, um, hearts go out to Remy Gardner, too, oh, yes. who's taken out the first lap by no fault of his own after a pretty strong qualifying. So hopefully he can regroup. Albedi was uninjured, thankfully, that he can regroup in Assen and come out and do something in the Moto2 race as well. I'm sure he will, mate. He's uh, had a, a great year so far this year, and I'm sure that'll continue for the remainder of it. Thanks for your time, Braxy. Talk soon. No worries, mate. Always look forward to it. Mark Brax joining us here on The Grid.
Well, there you have it. Another episode of On the Grid wrapped up and locked in the can. Thanks to the racetalk.com, of course, for uh, their help in putting it all together. Of course, we are powered by the racetalk.com, and you are listening to it on my podcast, house.com. We'll catch you again next week.